Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 417, July 14th, 2020. It was 108 degrees on this day in 1936. Man, they were hot in the 30s. Back then, you could sleep in the park. Oh, never mind. No. And 50 (laughs) degrees was the low in 1930. These records, which I bring you for my amusement, are sponsored by Aquaside, keeping your beach free of weeds for more than 60 years. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. We're going to be joined in a moment by Minnesota State Senator Mark Corrin, who uh, he's up North Branch Way, and he wrote uh, wrote me a letter over the weekend. I read uh, part of it uh, yesterday. Uh, he, he noted today, we all agree those who occupy the leadership in the salon have no real-world experience. All have had jobs with no measurable outcomes. You had Joe Anthony, the Minneapolis attorney, talk about the referendum for a strong mayor position. I agree this would be a good start. Go ahead and call him, Chris. But the key missing component not talked about is the system of voting, which has brought the most incompetent leadership to date. Both cities have implemented ranked choice voting in the last few elections. This method of voting is tantamount to participation trophies for elections with everyone running to participate, not necessarily running to win, and it ultimately is a crapshoot on the actual winner. None of the proposed benefits have ever been achieved, but it's a clearly a method of bringing the most radical activists with each successive election. Uh, I want to chat with Mark about that and some other things. Is is he, Mark ready to join us? Chris? Mark Hi. is ready. Hi, Mark. Hey, Joe. How are you doing today? Pronounce your last name for me. Mark Coran. State Senator Mark Coran from up North Branch Way, right, Mark? That is correct. I take it you're a GLer who listens to the podcast. Yeah, for at least 25 years. Uh, I loved your What's email. What's wrong with you? what was ranked choice voting allegedly to have achieved um greater participation to get rid of the two-party election system and add more value to every vote and and the reality is is it you know 20 percent of your votes are ultimately discarded and Mm -hmm. don't ultimately play in in the selection of the winner Mm -hmm. and uh and clearly it's worked out to be a great um, party protection system, right. you know, more, not not much, not as much as a, a candidate protection system. Right. Um, so, and and by the way, Joe, the, the greatest challenge to that is, like all bad ideas, they incubate them in the cities and then move them and drive the state legislative agenda. They mm-hmm. want this across the state. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about you. What? Uh, where are you? You're from Frogtown. I'm a Frogtowner, born and raised. Uh, on uh, 591 Virginia, the, mm-hmm. the, actually the house my grandfather was born in, mm-hmm. um, so just a few blocks west of the Capitol, mm-hmm. and uh, married my wife, who lived a block away from the Capitol, and uh, we spent, up until 2007, we, we raised our family in St. Paul, um, partly uh, by the Capitol, and then we moved to the Midway area on snowing in uh, Minnehaha, mm-hmm. and, then, and, and then left in uh, 2007. What's been your uh, work life like? 
I, I spent just under 18 years at the Minnesota Department of Revenue, created the state's electronic tax filing payment systems, probably the most dramatic change they've seen in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, always had a real job at that time as well, owned a small business and, uh, and always had other jobs. And then the last 19 years sold business process outsourced solutions into government. Government mm-hmm. outsources, a lot, uh, actually, most of the things that work really well, um, you'll find typically are outsourced to a private vendor. Right. What? What? Why? Why do you have great hope of of Republican candidates uh, making headway? I think we've seen. Well, one we, first time in a long time we've had sixty seven candidates just in the Senate side, and, and this and is statewide, correct? Correct. There's yep. sixty seven right uh, Senate districts, and and we've got some great candidates and and great people that are finally coming out. Probably the best congressional candidate delegate delegation that we've had. Mm-hmm. When you look at. Um, Sheila in, in Senate District, or I'm sorry, Congressional District 4, mm-hmm. and Lacey Johnson in, in 3, and Kendall Qualls, um, they're, they're bringing a voice that really hasn't been heard before. And I think in my letter, I said, re- regardless of their success, I think they're going to provide an opportunity for people to be more accepting to an, accepting to an alternative voice and and free um, people from void, voting from their traditional um, uh, platform, which has led to the, the sad demise of both St. Paul and Minneapolis. You know, as, as you'd say, the salon is led by um, the vast majority. I, I call it the industrial complex, which has been developed over 40 years, mm-hmm. um, focusing on elections to defeat the opposing view and, mm-hmm. and for ultimate power. And I don't think people understand that non-profiteers, religious, non-religious, the public unions, all of those dollars that are put and fostered through those entities, which are now driving the people that are elected to those offices. Do you think the complete failure of the political leadership, beginning with the governor down to the mayors, during the uh, the what I call the month of George Floyd, do you think that's going to open people's eyes to the failures of the salon? I think it has. The, the problem is, and I think in my letter I said, we, we do a lot of work in St. Paul, Minneapolis, because one, there aren't a lot of elected officials, Republicans, who have lived there, right, mm-hmm. during the time and got to see uh, mass immigration through the, the, the Hmong refugee. Got to see that, and it's really a priceless experience for me. But bringing it into this role, it allows us to go into those environments and have a conversation that others wouldn't likely have, even though I'm a Caucasian guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see... When you're when you're in there, and, and I, I work with Reverend Christopher, and I know he's become a good friend of the of the podcast. And you know, ninety nine percent of the people want a great police force, right? They they know they want um, security in their families. They want the the criminals that have uh, that are out shooting up the neighborhood and killing people, and they're killing young kids and, and attracting them into this lifestyle. They want it. The problem is, is that there isn't a single media source that will allow them a venue to express those views, right? So all the political, the political machine and in conjunction with practically every media source and now almost every large corporation is taking this on as an industry in itself. Mm-hmm. What, uh, tell me your thinking of uh, how the government has become, uh, I'm trying to find your exact wording. Uh, More powerful but, than the people it serves? Yes, <laughs> what, what has happened here? What's, where are we headed in that direction? Joe, Joe I, th- I think what, I think in many cases, I think you had Senator Jasinski on when you talked about the uh, Minlars, if you remember those figures. Yes, yes. Or the, I, I, I use the wrong term. When you saw the outcomes of that particular implementation, 
what you'll find is that the the machine itself, and I call it the government delivery vehicle. When we look at Menlars, it's a great example. One of the few where you get to where you get to be touched as an average citizen. That particular instance, I don't deem it a failure. What I what I will argue with, and my experience has proven it, is that the system is only designed to produce that type of result. Mm-hmm. So in this particular case, it took them 10 years. The system, when they turned it on, didn't have half of its basic functionality <laughs> of, this, of the previous system they were going to replace. Mm-hmm. And so you attribute that to it's not a technology problem. It clearly is not technology. And, but what it is is a system of, of where there's no naturally occurring corrective action for when they get their job wrong. So in that entire system, the Department of Public Safety, they're not required to learn and understand and know that system holistically mm-hmm. in order it, to describe out basic business rules. One, what the heck did the old system do? Two, all of the people. You talk, go to, talk to your dealer, your, your friends at Schmelz. They are the primary users of licensing and selling new vehicles. They are an agent of the state. They didn't mm-hmm. make one single phone call, and they've never done their job. They've mm-hmm. never done the job of a deputy register to understand what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Then how the heck could they build the system? And, and I argue that th- that's how all of the systems run and are developed. The only difference between the memoirs piece is, Joe, you actually understand it. It's got a publicly exposed component to it, and you knew what the heck it used to do. Mm-hmm. Then, what, what, what do you mean yeah. when you say the government is, with, is willfully withholding from us? What they, what they withhold, is, well, one, a, a direct request. When I was at the Department of Revenue, we would get requests from legislators. It's called fiscal notes. You would, you would see a, uh, a request. You may think it's a pretty stupid idea, and many are, but it's public data, and you'd provide that data regardless of, of how it would make an agency look or, or not. Right. Today, rarely do they provide valuable information when, when even a legislator requests it. And then, then you get into the exercise in which we're going through today in the COVID world. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the hype and hysteria of the um, hospitalizations. They don't tell you, right, only until maybe recently they started telling you how many um, of the ICU beds are actually COVID. Mm-hmm. Or when they also participate in foster when the ICU bed utilization is at 87%. Well, what does that tell you? That just tells you it would sound daunting unless you understood that the hospitals typically run at capacity with or without a, a pandemic. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that's the part that they continually withhold information to remove the context of any conversation. And it's taking his, the board. Taking his abject failure uh, during the rioting and looting, uh, to take Walls's abject failure to to have prevented that, which he could have, with a more timely introduction of the National Guard. How how do you uh, how do you rate his performance with this pandemic? Um, I, I think the initial the initial response is absolutely right. We need to know and understand what it is, and then to move into the. Um, into the process of making sure our capacity. We spent, the legislature also got in and, and we put, I think it was almost in excess of $600 million mm-hmm. to make sure that hospitals and everybody had the ability to upgrade and to create that potential ICU bed capacity, which I think up to almost 3,000 beds if needed. Um, and we've never gone, we've never, we've never even exceeded existing capacities as of today. So I think those things were necessary and, and, and nobody wishes. The emergency powers piece of that, 
right? Yeah. The governor yeah. gets five five days. I think this is one most people don't understand. The governor can execute five days, and everybody should have and needs that power. If some, a disaster actually happens. And, and then he needs the executive council to extend that to a 30-day period. Right. So and that executive council is the lieutenant governor, yep. the uh, state uh, auditor, secretary of state, and the attorney general. Mm-hmm. So, and then every subsequent executive order within those, within those emergency powers also has to be approved by that same executive committee. Well, he just gave himself another 30 days. Absolutely. And we, when we voted, we tried to vote it down in the Senate. We did vote it down. The house mm-hmm. will likely take it up today and it will fail. And so he'll, he'll keep those powers. So in our position is that we've moved beyond the, the, um, the emergency piece of this need to accumulate the resources and to continue it, to take a, a step back and, and pile on resources. We've done that, mm-hmm. except that we failed to provide, make sure we have testing available for every nursing home or convalescent care facility, which appears to be still be 85% of all the, uh, all the deaths attributed to this um, disease. And, and yet they still haven't done that. And then when you get into it, why is there a need to have this emergency powers piece today? There is not. And the legislature should be fully engaged at this point. The emergency piece of it is over. And now it's time to have both legislative bodies and the executive body making sure that we fully vet and address those issues that occur. Anything that arises. And, and Joe, I think what people miss is that today, all of those agencies were designed and their core responsibility was already to prepare for pandemics. Mm -hmm. And it shows you how ill prepared they are. And today, what the governor's telling us is that, well, I don't trust that we have the ability in our staff uh, to, to be able to manage anything that might arise from, from this day forward. Mm-hmm. I would argue we're, we're either well-prepared, and if we're not, you'd probably get the wrong people running those agencies. Are there any DFLers you can work with, or is the split I, pretty pronounced? We have, we have um, the split is growing, much like you see in the House, the, the, the level of um, split is pretty significant there. That's coming to the Senate in this election. But there's a variety of people that we work with all the time. You know, Good. Senator yeah. Hoffman. There, I think there's one, Joe, the, run, one, the real core difference is one belief is that government is there to solve all and that they're actually capable of doing anything right. and, and, and doing anything well. And on the other side, um, there are those that are healthy skepticism. And uh, uh, Senator Hoffman, um, he he's a guy that is very compassionate. We do a lot on disability services and group homes and, and, and for the most needy and, 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 uh, um, and very compassionate in, in pursuing that. But the greatest challenges are actually imposed by the agencies, which hamper us from providing great services across the board. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we screw up a, a MinLARS, yeah, it's an annoyance. It's a horrible waste of money. And, and it's a, a significant impact on us as citizens and taxpayers. It's unacceptable. But when you get into that same kind of operating model, and you, you add Department of Health and Human Services, which takes care of our children, disabled, and our elderly, I can tell you <laughs> there, there's, it, it's, it's wholly unacceptable of, of the pain and the, the premature death. And, and this is kind of harsh, but uh, rapes that are allowed or that occur within group home facilities that the agencies know about. Mm-hmm. And they've created policies to allow those things to happen. And it gets, but it goes back to the same thing. Nobody is accountable for the decisions they make at any level of government that well, we have in that, place today. That's astonishingly all. bleak. That's just yep. astonishingly bleak. How can that be fixed? Joe, 
So that's where I was going to go. So since Governor Wallace has been elected, I, 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 nobody comes here, with the, or very few come here with the desire, well, for very few ever plan to be here in the first place. Um, it's an amazing opportunity. But my background, I feel that I can make a difference because I know how it works. I'm unique within the, the entire body. All the agencies will tell you that. And they know where, where we need to go. But the governor refuses to implement and act on the right things. Because this, what we need to do is implement a system of training to attach a decision maker to the decision. It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walt Disney does it best. They have a training institute that every executive has to work there for for one month out of the year. Mm-hmm. They, I'd argue government even doesn't know what their for is. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, in, in an IT world, there's attachment to if you make a decision. If, if you want to create a policy that's going to put um, your your daughter, your sister, your mother, your grandmother, in great harm's way, taking care of a violent person in a group home. I would give you a little bit more credit if your staff also did that job and or you did that job. They are so removed from that process that they don't even understand or know the life cycle of why that agency exists. And so what I've done, and every single agency, every single agency had knows the the Quran, uh, the the rant that I'll give them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to attach them, and we need to fundamentally change how people are hired and brought into the system, and the training mechanisms and the accountability that we have to bake in, because it doesn't naturally occur in government. In your world, Joe, if the sales team doesn't do a great job in selling slots, you go away. Right. If your product's not that great, you go away. Or Let's you be careful here. <laughs> Funny you mention that. Yeah, Let's be I careful know. here. Let's wanna, be careful here, up, Senator. I don't want to open up a wound. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, those, but those are the things that, and, and the natural cycle occurs whether you choose to participate or not. I think we've all been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the part that we have to focus on. Because at the end of the day, I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. At the end of the day, you need those agencies in order to solve, not solve, but to perform the value and the service what, when government is actually necessary. You need them to be performing at the highest level, and every citizen needs to know they're getting great value. It's not that, it, it's not that complicated, but when you have goals, like the governor, that are very different. I think you, you spoke about the uh, Office of Diversity and Equity. Um, in that was in the Department of Transportation. Trans- yeah. Joe. That there's hundreds of those positions being added across the entire state, and they have no measurable outcomes to their to their period, mere existence except for to divide people. And and the likely outcome is probably a whole slew of human rights violations and and diversity implications and 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 some hardship that they will impose on the workforce that have nothing to do with. Are you here to perform a job? And are you here to perform at the highest level? And, and Joe, I can tell you, I've been represented by Ask Me, MAPE, and MMA, which is the entry-level um, middle management as manager and uh, the professionals, MAPE. Most of the frontline people feel very detached from the, the life cycle of their job. It's more than a job. They want to know and they want to add great value. And, and so they are hungry to attach their management and all the decision makers to the to their job it, I, and i don't care if it's mindot i want uh, margaret anderson kelleher i want her on the guardrail crew for one week every five every six months uh, 
in a plow truck and, and I know she'll do it. She's a farm girl. And, but that's what we need is that mentality that you have to force those transactional behaviors or the attachment to every function of why you exist. Only then things will get better. But I can tell you, Joe, the governor refuses. Probably the most bipartisan thing he does. I've made many, many, many requests from the moment he was elected to meet with him to discuss the best bipartisan opportunity that we have to resolve or to start working on since he was elected. Not a single opportunity. Keep sending his minions, and I really don't care what their opinions are. Um, I care what his opinion is because only he can drive that. <laughs> and, and he refuses to meet. And, in fact, most, most, of, uh, most of the Democratic senators uh, don't get to meet with him either. They would wish, well, they wish he'd come off the campaign trail and actually run the state. I'd like to thank you for the most disappointing 20 minutes I've ever spent <laughs> Joe, in, in podcasting. Joe, we, we actually, uh, we could go, when you really talk about the challenges, you guys, you talk about housing. I listened to yesterday's podcast and you talk about the housing. Yep. You, you will, I, I, I <laughs> we want to put a, 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 give you the best information because if this, if this doesn't motivate people to get off their butts and take action, participate, um, we're in for a daunting future because the, the level of, of activism that you see that's proliferated, I'm telling you, they're hiring based on that qualification. If you go into St. Paul and Minneapolis, and when I did you know, multiple tours in Minneapolis and to look at the burn site, the city of Minneapolis people, they don't sound any different than the mayor. And they have great disdain for a commercial property owner in that district. If they don't happen to live in that district, it's like they have no, no skin in the game. I look at it and say, well, it looks like about a $4 million commercial building providing many opportunities for businesses. And they have great disdain for them. Mm-hmm. And well, my, the, my that, final question to you was going to be, should Minnesotans be optimistic about our future? And I, I think in the short term, the answer is no. I think in the short term, I think this will cause, because I, I think you know the history as well as anybody, These, this, this event, uh, the unfortunate death of George Floyd was kind of the igniter to a movement that was already well on its way. Right. And so right. you have so many other factions that are, that are fueling that particular effort. And by the way, I, I don't think uh, I, we're, we're long from rebuilding in those cities because you know it typically starts a 10-year decline. And the, those, the saddest part, the reason I go in there is because we represent our district, but you know what, we represent the entire state. Right. And, and in those districts, we need them to survive. Everybody just can't up and move. I know you got a couple of your, uh, couple of your landlords on staff there that are very right. happy with their revenue. Right. Um, but, but the demise is, could, could be very great and hurt those people with the greatest need. And, and, and we know that. And so we have to try and stop that in every way we can. I think there's groups of people that we've seen as, in activism that are coming out to, to argue against and to hopefully, you know, change and be active to change the political system. Um, but it, it's going to take a while. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in that battle and we have to have hope. We still have the greatest, uh, we're still in the greatest country in the world. And in Minnesota, just so you have a little bit of hope, there, there are probably still 1.2 million people that are not registered to vote. And they are common sense, center, right of center thinkers that, that we need to get out and vote. And, uh, and so there is really good hope, and there's a lot of great things that are happening at the municipal level, and, and, but it, it's going to take time. And then 
if you got a spare three or four hours, I'll get you more depressed. We'll go out in the pontoon on Spoon, Spoon Lake. And, All right. And we'll, we'll take care of you. State Senator Mark Coran, uh, I, I appreciate it. We're going to hang on to your number. I bet we'll be chatting again. Call me anytime. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, thank you sir. very much. Say, uh, I have to go see a guy who just arrived at my house. I'm surprised you didn't end that interview with, can't thank you enough for the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, well thank great. God, thank God, we have the likes of him there. Oh, no kidding! I was going to ask him, when are you planning on running for governor? Oh, my Lord, help us! Oh God, he corroborates everything we think. Oh, uh, we got to take on some more problems in Minneapolis, and we will in just a moment. The 2020 Patriot Ride is back, but it's going to look a little different this year. This year, you build the team, you pick the route. And then you ride. This will, I think this will be the most epic Patriot Ride ever. Click on PatriotRide.org for more information. It's always been about thanking our veterans, recognizing our servicemen and women, and honoring the fallen soldiers. We do that by getting on the bike and twisting the throttle, and it's always been fun. Through the years, countless people have volunteered to bring our community together to show their true patriotism. We here at the GL Podcast, we'd like to thank all of the organizers, volunteers, riders, supporters, and every single person that supported this event year after year. And now, it's our turn. Let's show them what we've learned by organizing our own teams and our own routes. The dollars raised by the Patriot Ride, it benefits the Minnesota Patriot Guard, Minnesotans Military Appreciation Fund, and the Minnesota Chapter of Tribute to the Troop. The uh, troops, yeah, troops. (laughs) Head to PatriotRide.org for details and to register yourself, register a team, or just donate. That's PatriotRide.org. Twist that throttle. University of Garage Logic, 98. College of Self-Esteem, zip, nada, nothing. Here's Joe Suchere. Man, I was reading a neat piece in Car and Driver about the new Volkswagen GTI. They couldn't rave about it enough. I don't know that they're on the lot yet. I think what I was reading was a sneak preview, but Schmel's Countryside in Maplewood would answer all your questions. Uh, In the meantime, at Schmel's Countryside on Highway, it's at the uh, quad uh, north... Nope, let's start over. Southeast quadrant of Highway 61 and 36. 0% for 72 months right now on all new 2019 and 2020 VWs, including the all new 2020 Atlas Cross Sport, which is on the lots. And uh, 0% interest for up to 60 months on certified pre-owned vehicles. They've got the whole COVID thing figured out. You're going to get your own personal sales appointment. You go to the three websites, SchmelzVW.com schmelzalfaromeo.com and schmelzfiat.com pick out what you're most interested in do your homework do the measurements and this all this info you need to know for the family call schmelz they'll have that car ready for you to test drive and examine uh and it'll all be sanitized and safe and all that good stuff so it's a multi-generational family dealership they don't own 50 stores it's where i get my vehicles and have a a number of vehicles purchased from schmelz countryside call them at 651-243-4316 joining us now is our own guitar playing newsman john height Thank you, Joe. This uh, update brought to you by Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Store. And uh, that leads me to a question for you, Mr. Reavers. Talk to me. Uh, I want 
I walked into my Andover Fred Loney's the other day. They had some meat cooking on a smoker. Okay. Then I saw you tweeting something about your new smoker. So I explained a little bit yesterday. A couple uh, a couple of days ago, actually it was before I left town, uh, Mike had heard me talking about wanting to get a smoker, and he's a big you know Weber dealer. He said, Weber just came out with their new smoke fire smoker. He said, give it a mm. shot. I did. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably never going back to grilling. I had some pork tenderloin and some ribs on that thing. Oh, uh-huh. my goodness. The taste is night and day difference from just regular grilling. I, I absolutely love it. So the smoke cool. fi- it's the smoke fire version. It's Weber's new smoker. It's outstanding. I love it. Uh, news, the attorney for a former Minneapolis police officer charged in the death of George Floyd filed a motion Tuesday morning asking a judge to hold Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison in contempt of court. Oh, good. The attorney for Tau, uh, Tau, uh, for Tu Tau filed a motion asking the court to hold Ellison, the lead prosecutor, to be held in contempt for violating a gag order that was issued on July 9th. The motion also requests sanctions be ordered against Ellison for violating the order. However, the motion did not specifically say how Ellison violated the gag order. Man shot and killed Monday after a pursuit with law enforcement, according to authorities. The whole thing started in Chaska. The Carver County Sheriff's Office said police called early Monday morning to a residence in the 400 block of Yellow Brick Circle in Chaska. Officers learned a male suspect was armed with a handgun threatening to shoot a female victim inside the home. The sheriff's office said the man then took the woman and fled the house. The Carver County Sheriff's Office, Chaska Police Department, and other law enforcement agencies pursued the vehicle until it stopped on the Mendota Bridge after having its tires deflated. Negotiators attempted to de-escalate the situation as the man continued to hold the victim at gunpoint. When attempts to negotiate failed, the man was shot and killed by a Carver County Sheriff's deputy. According to the Sheriff's Office, a 29-year-old man, he has not been identified. The deputy who fired the weapon is on administrative leave, and the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating the incident. Well, I have a question. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, was he a sharpshooter? Was he still holding the woman close to his person? That I uh, was reporting isn't what reporting isn't yeah. what it used to be. Kenny, you were closely monitoring this story yesterday. I know. Uh, do I reveal or not? Uh, from what I yeah, go ahead. From what I know, what I've heard is he was shot in the head. Okay. Well, in other words, it, that was a mighty. That was a. If he was holding his hostage. That copper not only is a great shot, he took a hell of a risk. I received a lot of criticism on Twitter uh, for not revealing what I knew about this scene while it was ongoing. And uh, I've just, as you guys know, I've chosen not to report stuff like that. And I prefer to let the uh, law enforcement and news outlets do their jobs. And And I think uh, that's the right call on your part. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just a traffic account. I'm not going to race out there and try to win, win the race with breaking news. Uh, so I, I just keep my mouth shut and let them do their jobs and, you know, maybe tweet about it later. Well, and know. some of the stuff, the reason you, I know, and I know this, but you choose to do that because some of this is pretty sensitive information. And I think that's yeah, the right call. And I've learned the lesson just too many times that uh, we, we need to just lay back and let them do their jobs and not get all rambunctious with tweeting, you know, theories and rumors and right. innuendo. And, but this was a bad talk. guy. 
Well, I'm asking very... for nothing rambunctious. Uh, I, I think. No, that... you no. Know, you, you, I think you're doing the right thing. You're asking afterwards. Uh, you weren't asking as the scene was playing out. No. Do you know the answer to my question? <laughs> uh, I heard, and I cannot confirm, and I don't know if it's true, but I heard when it happened that he was shot in the head. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and again, what that suggests to me, and I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know if any reporters will ever bother to even dig into it, but that suggests to me you had a real specialist out there. That's right. all I'll say. Well, That's all I'll say. A- it was a Carver County Sheriff's deputy who you would assume was involved in the chase, though, right? I, I wouldn't think correct. Be a sharp That's shot. another cr- criticism. You know, um, I retweeted a, one of our photographers uh, tweeted out a, a video of the pursuit as it was happening, yeah. and there were a lot of cop cars, and then all, all, all the cop haters piled on Twitter and started ripping the cops for there being so many officers involved in the chase do they really need all those cops blah blah blah, blah. people are just well, we're stupid. not we're not police officers we you know what, you don't know what's going on you you have no idea what the what, what the scene was and how dangerous so the anger's was. towards the number of cops not the guy holding a gal at gunpoint got it okay got it <laughs> uh i don't think you guys touched on this yesterday uh, i heard most of the show but uh st paul mayor melvin carter's administration mm-hmm. has hired a former union organizer to fill a new political director role adding a six-figure position at a time when the city is staring down a Six. multi-million dollar budget shortfall john i uh, purposely never brought it up because i find it so it's just i can't get anywhere here uh he is uh, he is not a responsible mayor he's not a he has no sense of his fiduciary responsibility and if i see one more sign in somebody's yard that says we're all in this together i'm gonna go nuts <laughs> because we're not all in this together no one's been furloughed or laid off in st paul and now he's adding people during the uh, during his budget crisis. He's adding a guy, John Grebner, a former political organizer at AFSCME Council Five, officially started that position uh, April sixth. Two days later, then interim finance director John McCarthy told the city council his department was telling others to quote hold off on non essential spending and hiring because of what we know about our financial outlook right now. Wow. There was no public announcement of the hire at the time or months later when the mayor's office issued a news release to announce three director-level appointments. According to the city, Grebner in the new position earns $53 an hour or about $110,000 a year. (laughs) Okay, that's great. So, John, John, can I ask you? I'm speechless. I'm speechless. When you were assembling the newscast today, did you... Did you kind of slightly smile and go, oh, I can't I, pass this one up to I, the old man? I rubbed today. my hands together. And went, <laughs> so, like a cartoon I, villain. Exactly. <laughs> it's my, just, my favorite, my favorite it's just quote of this story comes from Council President Amy Brandmoen. Yeah. She said Grebner's hiring was in the works, and she said, quote, Carter's administration has a lean government relations team. And had no chief of staff. He's got a cabinet now of 21 people. Leave, leave that and that's lean. Wow. <laughs> Could be, you can do it today, Stephanie. You can do it five years from now, but there'll come a time. One of these days. Yeah. No names. 
On Monday, the Minnetonka City Council voted to adopt a mask ordinance to help stop the spread of COVID-19, as it, uh, as did Duluth. The ordinance requires the use of masks in public spaces in the city. It goes into effect July 23rd. A number of cities have already passed similar legislation, including Minneapolis, St. Paul, Mankato, Rochester, Edina, and Winona. If you're a smoker, can you put a hole in your mask? To stick, you know, stick the heater through that? <laughs> Speaking of that, Such, my mask uh, for a while really stunk bad. I can, I can imagine. S- smelled of cigars and ashtrays. Yeah. And then I had a brilliant idea. I put a, when, I, when I take it off and I stow it in the truck, I put a couple of Altoids in it. Oh. And when when I put it on, it's just fresh and delicious and wonderful. And I got a couple of Altoids there I can suck on. boy. Well, I have a novel concept. You could wash it. You know. Yeah. Do yeah. what now? <laughs> <laughs> Four former heads of the centers. I just get a new one each time I need one because she's got about 4,000 of them. She's still she's whooping made. them out every day. Oh, she's Betsy them? Ross. Betsy Ross. Here we go. <laughs> Four former heads of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Tuesday morning rebuking President Trump, arguing the extraordinary efforts by him and other administration officials to diminish the public health agency's guidance was contributing to the resurgence of coronavirus across the U.S. In an op-ed, former CDC directors Tom Frieden, Jeffrey Copeland, David Satcher, as well as forming actor CDC director Richard Besser, criticized what they called political leaders and others attempting to undermine the agency as it works to issue recommendations. But you it's gotten to the point, though, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, you quite literally don't know who to trust and what numbers to trust. Do you guys feel the same so, way? There's a bit mm-hmm. of confusion. Is that what you're mm-hmm. saying, Chris? Well, mm-hmm. not, not yeah. just a little bit, but... I, I know uh-huh. of a case where one person went in multiple times, was tested positive three or four times. Well, that counts as a case each time that it's being reported. Well, that's not right. Do you, uh, all of you answer this question. Do you know anyone who's had it? Yes. How many people? Yeah. Uh, four or five. Kenny? Yeah, I know a, uh, yeah, I know a handful, including a, a fellow that passed away. John Height? I, I know two who have had it. I know one. Uh, there's really nowhere to go with that game, except we all know many, many, many people. Uh, and I guess we're fortunate that, with the exception of Kenny, uh, having known someone who died from it, uh, it's it's difficult to uh, uh, to find anyone in your larger circle of people who've had it. Maybe that's just a note of gratitude. I don't know. Uh, if that's not enough to worry about, public health officials have announced a squirrel in Colorado is tested positive for the bubonic plague. Oh. I have that story. Go ahead and finish it, John. Then okay. I'm going to ask you some questions. All right. The town of Morrison, Colorado in Jefferson County, which is just west of Denver, made the announcement saying the squirrel is the first case of plague in that county. It is possible for humans to be infected with the bubonic plague through bites from infected fleas and by direct contact with blood or tissues of infected animals, such as a cough or a bite. Jefferson County Public Health said the cats, uh, that cats are highly susceptible to the plague from things like flea bites, a rodent scratch or a bite, or just eating an infected rodent. Cats can die if not treated quickly with antibiotics. Uh, dogs, not as uh, susceptible, but still may pick up and carry plague-infected rodent fleas. Yes, Drew. Uh Well, did it occur to you... How did this come about? Did somebody just decide to capture a random squirrel? See, reporting reporting isn't 
this is not helpful to me. What, what's the context of this squirrel having bubonic plague? Was it kept in a zoo? What, where in the hell did you find the squirrel? Did it bite somebody, and that's how, and it got captured? Was it ca- captured in a trap? Or was the guy going for a walk and saying, hey, that squirrel, he looks like he's tweaking. We better get well, him tested. What a yeah. bunch of, this is pointless. My favorite hey. headline in the news today, Wisconsin man almost hit by falling tree. <laughs> I think I about that, that for a minute. <laughs> yes. That's not a story. He wasn't there, hit. You saw, you saw why it was a story, though. Because some moron video. had to put it on Facebook. That's the only reason. Yeah, yeah. That's the only Wisconsin thing. man Such almost stuff. hit two planes today. Did not run into each other at the airport. <laughs> I've I've got a story for you. Uh, Melvin Carter hired a new guy at fifty three <laughs> bucks an hour. Right, but back to the squirrel. Uh, <laughs> but first, but first the bubonic squirrel. What this story is is hopelessly inadequate. What is the context for knowing this, discovering it? What are you going to do about it? Are, are squirrels routinely examined by some agency of the city? Never mind. Nobody has the answers to my questions. Well, I think we'll you know what? Oh, go ahead, John. Go ahead. When this newscast is over, I will dedicate some time to seeing if I can find that out. All right. So I, I appreciate guess that. what I'm hearing out of yeah. you is you, for a number of years now, have been underplaying the significance of my great town ball stories because those are actual mm. stories that are worthy of airtime. They're right? not worthy of anything. They're okay. not worthy of gotcha. anything. Gotcha. Moving, moving right along in the news. <laughs> uh, the 2021 Ford Bronco launched Monday night with seven different models. As of Tuesday morning, uh, you can't get one. The Bronco First Edition is already sold out. What? Or at least the model's reservation slots have all been spoken for. A black banner appeared across the face of the vehicle proclaiming reservations full on Ford's configurator and reservation website overnight. Uh, this isn't a big surprise. They just made 3,500 uh, examples of the Bronco Launch Edition available, and the fervor around the new SUV was intense enough last night that it paralyzed Ford's reservation website as soon as it went online. The website's usability seemed to improve somewhat overnight, but its functionality was a black eye. What otherwise seemed to be a warm initial reception for the new truck, uh, Ford says, don't worry. Eventually, there'll be plenty of models to buy, but right now you can't get one. Based on my reading of this vehicle, it, it sounds like it's almost exclusively to be used off-road. It, it doesn't look like it would be a comfortable daily urban driver. <laughs> it sure yeah. looks cool. It, oh, it does uh, look, look cool. cool. Reminds but what me of the it, old it, ones. But it looks to be used almost exclusively off-road. I, I have to learn more, I guess. Uh, what do I care? I prefer Alfa Romeo, Volkswagen, and Fiat anyway. That's right. Yeah. And I ain't taking those off-road. PBS has a uh, series called American Masters. I'm sure we've all seen it. Centers mm-hmm. on folks who have had an impact on American life in the arts or otherwise. Well, they just announced a future episode that will feature Laura Ingalls Wilder. Minnesota, of course, claims her, as do several other Midwest states. Uh, Walnut Grove, Minnesota, served as the setting for both her third book, On the Banks of Plum Creek, and, of course, the TV series, which ran on NBC from 1974 to 1982. Uh, PBS hasn't announced a run date for American Masters, Laura Ingalls Wilder, uh, but they did have a film crew shooting footage last July during the Laura Palooza festivities in Wisconsin. Uh, press materials promises never-before-seen letters and photographs, as well as testimonials from historians and literary experts. 
I thought cancel culture got a hold of her a few weeks ago and shut her down. Oh, no. What happened? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought she was in the fallout. Because, John, I was huh. driving through greater South Dakota, and there was a town that claimed that she was from there. Yeah. The story says there's three or yeah, four well, states that claim pa, it, so. Old Pa Ingalls, he, uh, he had a gambling problem, <laughs> so he was moving uh, moving around a lot. Well, you know, wherever you hang your hat, that's home, and uh, up and gone overnight. One of those I went through some town in South Dakota that claimed to be your home. Holy crap. Holy Do you crap. listen to the show? What? Hello, oh, what? No, he's getting it. What did I just do? What, you what just, did I you just, just repeated word the for word what Word for word what Chris started. You better put some coins. You put it, I'm going to go get, to tan and scan. Wow. Get the bleep out of your ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just yeah. Oh, you can't yeah. find anything, okay, can I'll you? Wait. Oh, I'll wait. Right. Some yeah. guy with clown shoes came through town and sold us another new system. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There it is. Wow. Yeah. Playing the part of Reavers. Yeah. <laughs> no Jeez. kidding. Uh, don't know if there's really demand for this, but, you know, there's no Minnesota State Fair this year because of COVID-19. Really, Jen? I did hear that. Yeah, that's true. And the Breaking. fair now is offering the public a chance to buy the plastic cups that they would have used to serve drinks. <laughs> you know, they got the logo, the State Fair, <laughs> State fair logo. Yeah, sure, sure. You can they pretend you're at the fair. Yeah. Uh, in your oh. backyard, you can just, yeah. you know. They come in three sizes, 12, 16, and 20 ounces. We usually yeah. get the 20 ounces at GL. Yeah. Uh, they're sold sold in sleeves of 50 cups. The 12-ounce cup, uh, 12 bucks for 50 of them. The 16-ounce version, 14 bucks for 50 of them. And for the 20-ounce model, $16 for 50 of them. There's a limit of two sleeves per person. <sighs> Holy crap. The only time, John, the, the only time those things yeah. have any worth is when I use an empty one to fill up the beer I snuck into the fair. That's the only time those cups have any worth anyway. It sounds like something the NFL would do. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want them, you have to go to the fairgrounds, uh, Administration 2 Building, 1312 Cosgrove Street. Enter the grounds through the main gate on Snelling and turn left on Cosgrove. Uh, no electronic payment, by the way. You can't use cards. Sales are by cash or check and are in-person only. Oh the God. fair apologized, saying they couldn't ship any cups at this time. All right, so we uh, mentioned, well, hold on, John. We mentioned uh -huh. beer. Yeah. I have to introduce uh, one of our new friends here in Garage Logic, Harmony Spirits. John, really? have you tried, did you try the sample I gave you? Uh, well, to, I'm not going to lie to you. I have a, a bottle of gin was the sample, and it's it's darn near gone. It's so. long gone. Kenny, how about you? Not Did you try yours yet? Close. You didn't give me the vodka. Oh, that's right. I still have to make my <laughs> delivery. So get this. Uh, they're handcrafted spirits made right here in Minnesota, Harmony, Minnesota, to be fa to, to be factual. I took the bottle of bourbon whiskey with me out to South Dakota. and uh, mm -hmm. Give me my bourbon. And you know how you, you're at a hotel and you somewhat run out of options with glassware? Well, the boys had to use yep. the two regular cups and... Papa Bear was shy on uh, what he should use, so he used the old mixing cup for his uh, for his delectable spirits on the Fourth of July. But they're great guys, and they're now partnering with us here in Garage Logic. All you have to do: go to your local liquor store and ask for them by name. They're trying to spread out their brand. I know Elevated Beer, Wine, and Spirits are partner there. They carry those guys. They're also available at A Spirits in Hopkins, and you can. Carry the whiskey, the vodka, or the bourbon right out the door. Or if you're an out-of-state listener, they will ship it to you. 
all sorts of states are they, they no, will ship let's it to do, you. Let's do the test, Reavers. Such, you're the student here. You ready? Yep. Mm-hmm. C A. California. Had a boy. C O. Colorado. D C. F L. What's your point here? I I A. I want to know if you know these. I-D. Iowa. I-N. Idaho. K S. Indiana. M-D. Yeah, I got them, Kenny. Kenny. I can M-O. even tell you the names M-T. of newspapers. N C. N E. N M. You're wasting too much time with this. S C. V T. V A. W I. W V and W Y. Those Good are all the states that ship wow. Harmony Spirits, courtesy of Ace Spirits nice. in Hopkins, Minnesota. So do that. Go to your lo- local liquor store. Ask for them by name. I'm telling you right now, the handcrafted, locally produced spirits by Harmony, it's well worth your time. And make sure you let them know that you heard about it on the Garage Logic podcast. A New Jersey woman survived a harrowing mile-long ride through a storm drain after Ooh. flash floods swept oh. her and her car into the drainage system. Passaic Fire Chief Patrick Tretikos said Natalia Bruno of Newark, New Jersey, tried to drive through a deep and fast-moving water dumped by a powerful storm on July 6th when the car began to fill with water and float. The 24-year-old Bruno escaped from her vehicle before it filled with water, but she was pulled into a brook that runs beneath Passaic. Rutherford Police Chief John Russo said Bruno eventually was shot out of the drain into the Passaic River and swam across to the other side of the river. Wow. Chief Russo Russo said she was stunned. She was out of it, in shock. She really didn't know what had happened to her. Bruno taken for, uh, uh, for treatment to a hospital, but she was not seriously injured. A new study suggests last year's Ridgecrest earthquakes increased the chance of a large earthquake on California's San Andreas Fault Line. The study, published in the Bulletin of Seismological Society of America on Monday, says there's I now bet Stacy, the GL geologist, gets that. I bet she does. Mm-hmm. Says there's now a 2.3% uh, chance of an earthquake of 7.5 or greater in the next 12 months on a section along the 160-mile-long Garlock Fault, which runs along the northern edge of the Mojave Desert. That increased likelihood, in turn, would uh, cause there to be a 1.15 chance of a large earthquake on the San Andreas Fault in the next year. Now, those odds may seem small, but the authorities say they're a substantial jump from what the chances were before last year's Ridgecrest, California earthquakes, whose epicenters were about 125 miles northeast of downtown Los Angeles. Well, why not? It's 2020. Let's <laughs> have Amazon. Amazon just provided a closer glimpse at what the new shopping experience at its first grocery store could be like. Uh, they unveiled on Monday the Amazon Dash Cart, a smart shopping cart that can detect what items you put in it. The cart is designed for handling one or two bags of groceries, and customers using the cart won't have to go through the checkout line. Amazon says it's rolling out the Dash Cart at its grocery store in Woodland Hills, California, when it opens later this year. The cart uses machine learning to identify items put in the cart and comes equipped with a touch screen. They are just mm-hmm. dead set on putting every business out, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Joe, this wouldn't work for you because you'd want to pay cash, right? Yeah, I'm not going to use their cart. When leaving the store, sensors identify the shopper's cart and automatically charge the associated Amazon account. 
Based on their introductory video, the Dash Cart seems to work almost like a mobile self-checkout. The touchscreen will also allow shoppers to view their subtotal and access their Alexa shopping lists. And each cart will also have a built-in coupon scanner. Amazon's grocery store will have a specific checkout lane for shoppers using Dash Carts that allows them to bypass the normal checkout lines. Reavers, are you going to play that game today? Oh, sure. I was just waiting for your word whenever you're ready. The AOC game, and the game is how long will the mayor last? I can't wait. <laughs> All right. You want that right now? We yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of threw yeah. me for a loop there. Just giving John a little breather there. <laughs> okay. Sure. This was AOC talking about the increased rate of crime in New York City. Uh, Here we go. I'll start the counter. And remember how it ends. Yes. Thank you. In three, two, one. I think there's something about this. That's enough. Stop. 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 I can't take it. I can't take it. Three seconds. (laughs) She said that that, uh, maybe they're trying to get bread. um, Yeah. Because uh, that's what they're, they're, they can't pay their rent. See. Can't pay their rent, so they need bread for the kids. Right. Oh, boy. <laughs> boy, she's an American treasure, isn't she? Yeah, she really is. You know the problem with watching your videos? I, when I start watching, I think it's some, uh, it's it's fake. It's uh, it's a bit. It's a bit. Yeah, and it's then a Saturday Night Live skit. No, yes. no this, this is actually her. And, yeah. And then I, yeah, that's very strange. Somebody needs to start the like counter with her, by the way. Like? Oh, she throws Not that me. one in every, uh, every once in a while. And a woman who was left bloodied after being attacked while swimming in Australia told reporters, I still love sharks, as she was stretchered off to hospital on Tuesday. 29-year-old filmmaker was taking a dip off Queensland when she was set upon by sharks, or some kind of fish anyway, suffering cuts and a possible broken ankle. Uh, But the woman who was working on a shark documentary was not named, still determined to give the ocean predators the benefit of the doubt. She yelled on a, at camera crews, I still love sharks. Sharks are beautiful. Although the woman was in pain when paramedics got there, she uh, was stable and smiling and very happy once she got to the hospital. Marine biologist Gar- uh, Gareth Phillips said the fact that the woman's injuries were relatively minor suggested it was unlikely that it was a shark, but probably some other large fish. He said it does uh, a strong chance that it was a giant trevally or a red sea bass. Well, speaking of getting carted off on a stretcher, I'm washing my hands of Byron Buxton. I'm washing my hands of this guy. He cannot stay healthy. We do have the latest info. I was going to wrap up with that anyway. We'll wrap it Uh, up. I'm sure he's going to be out for six months. No, the latest info is there is no structural damage whatsoever, uh, but that he is, this is is as of about 45 minutes ago, no structural damage to the foot, uh, but he uh, is in a great uh, deal of pain. Oh, too bad. He fell down. A (laughs) spray. Well, you Maybe a, you really spray. got cranky here in the last twenty. No, minutes. this this is ridiculous. These, you know, Pat and I have discussed this. One of the greatest yeah. problems of the modern era in baseball is that there's now too many names to be attached to what used to be. I fell down. And now we have to go, well, there's a structural uh, stress on ligament line three in the uh, coronus area of the uh, ankle bone. <laughs> it used to be, damn it, I hurt my foot, I fell down. Get up and shake it off, you moron. I think where you really fell in, in, in poor taste with baseball is when they named a bench coach alongside of the oh, manager. I remember God, your, help you me. had a tirade about that one time. What, some guy to tell him to sweep up the sunflower Hey, seats. sit this way. Yeah. <laughs> 
God almighty. You know, it's a I, shame. I, I like the kid. I, I think he can be a hell of a player, but he's too fragile. He's just too damn fragile. And he's, yeah. He, I, but I love his attitude about, I'm going to go catch that ball. I, I do love that, but yes, he, he does. He is a tad injury prone. Yeah. Okay. The crew at, uh, thank you, John. The crew at Grunhofer's yeah. Old Fashioned Meats, uh, they keep grinding out meatloaf. <laughs> Hundreds of pounds of meatloaf at a time because they're always afraid Reavers will show up. Right. And uh, and and Spencer did send you, uh, Chris, a picture of the meatloaf coming out of the smoker. He did, and that's yeah. and I'm going to try. I've told him I'm making a run this week, um, but in, so I don't get chastised again. My buddy Jeff ran up there over the weekend. He got he got it all: the meatloaf, the rookie burgers, the Italian sausage brats, the salmon, the whole nine yards. And he was mad at me yesterday because I didn't mention it on the podcast. And rookie went up Saturday and didn't include any of us. Right. And what? they have they now have bone in tomahawk ribeye steaks. They're about three pounds each and two and a half inches thick. Can you smell that right now on your grill? Can you smell that? You mean this my is, frataloni smoker? Come on, that's now. right. This is uh, Grunhofer's old fashioned meats. It's a it's at the north end of Hugo on Highway 61. You can't miss it because uh, it's just become the the GLers palace of meat. We uh, we got to get back into Minneapolis here in just a moment. It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Souchere. DKMags.com. They give us a much-needed advantage during this current climate of lawlessness and crime. DKMags.com. They're up on Old 8 in New Brighton and Monticello Pond and Gun. They offer everything we need from personal protection to hunting and even sports shooting. Whatever we need. UGLers, oh my goodness. You're keeping the fellas at DK Mags very busy right now. Uh, they're offering us solid facts, competitive prices on everything firearms related. But obviously, and you guys, you ladies, you know this with the run on Second Amendment items. And even with plenty of inventory on hand, some purchases at DK, they have to be limited. So we all get some. Uh, so when you're up there, I want you to be sure to mention to the staff that you're a GLer because that gets duly noted and this allows the wonderful relationship that we've all built up with them to continue because uh, the GLers at DKMags.com and Monticello Pond and Gun, they're here to help all of us and they want to acknowledge our partnership with a little bit of a wink and a nod. You know, that, that, that little, they want to give you one of these, one of these right here, the okay deal. Speaking of which, you'll get another 5% off if you're in law enforcement or the military, a veteran or first responder. DKMags.com. They're in New Brighton or Monticello Pond and Gun. A couple of wonderful, wonderful shops run by GLers for GLers. Good luck to all of us. Late night thought on potential candidates for city office. Give me someone from the saloon, not the salon. These are my new voting parameters. Good day from Spokane, Washington, three-putt Joe. Let's go visit the salon in Minneapolis. Kenny referenced this story yesterday as it uh, it uh, developed on the Star Tribune website while we were podcasting, and today it was on the front page of the paper. It's called A Troubled Block Calls for Help, and they're not getting any. It's the 2900 block of South 18th Avenue, just north of Lake Street. And the lead is, it's a very good story, by the way, by uh, Labor Genie. And the lead is, at, uh, until recently, Iglan Ahmed had not seriously considered moving from the 2900 block of South 18th Avenue. But when a 12-year-old boy shoved a handgun in her face during a robbery attempt, 
outside her South Minneapolis home, the mother of eight decided that she'd had enough. She's scared for her life. This is a very troubled block. The long and short of this is it's uh, uh, rampant uh, drug dealing, uh, crime, and uh, the police uh, are are, uh, stressed to the point of uh, uh, not being able to respond to all these calls. But most interestingly, the area is represented by council member Alondra Cano. Uh, And she said she is equally unsatisfied with the current system of policing that has alienated residents while failing to put a dent in the area's problems. So she's managing to blame the police for virtually everything. I'll get there's more on her coming up. Uh, For years, she says the department's focus was on cracking down on low-level offenses like public urination while allowing more serious crimes to flourish. Cano, who has supported dismantling the police department, says a harm reduction approach is needed to address the city's problems. Uh, She has no... she doesn't know what she's talking about because there's no measurable way to discuss or corroborate what a harm reduction approach means. There's no statistical way to measure it. There's no precedent for it. It's just it's just uh, it's uh, words pulled out of her uh, uh, mouth that mean nothing. And uh, the words of the failed academy uh, come to mind. Uh, it's really been it's been really frustrating for me. She said that MPD hasn't been able to deliver results on that front. She said, meaning harmful, uh, harm, harm reduction approach, which is meaningless. But the neighbors said that Cano has been equally unresponsive to their pleas for help and calls to her office go unreturned. This is the same Alondra Cano, who is one of three city council members from the salon, who have now have racked up a total of $152,000 for private security that the taxpayers in Minneapolis are paying for. Uh, all three of them, uh, who is it? It's, uh, Andrea Jenkins, Philip Cunningham, and Alondra Cano say, uh, they're all outspoken proponents of defunding the Minneapolis police department. And here in Cano's ward are citizens, taxpayers, homeowners trying to live and can't. And she has the nerve and the gall to blame police. Uh, now the, uh, after months of frustration, some residents are getting together to take the, take back the block. They've, uh, they're connecting each other with apps and they're wearing yellow t-shirts that say, advertise their own neighborhood security. Uh, it, it appears to be working. Uh, residents say that police officers have shown an interest in their plight, like the sergeant who helped defuse a tense standoff Wednesday between locals and a city worker who showed up to remove fencing because they've blocked their block off now. The sergeant eventually negotiated an agreement that allowed residents to keep the barriers up so long as they could guarantee a path for ambulances and other emergency vehicles. Uh, Abdi Hassan, who works for the State Pollution Control Agency, says things got so bad that some neighbors were afraid to use their front doors out of fear of being harassed by dealers who seem emboldened by the lack of police presence. Uh, A few weeks ago, Hassan said he decided to move his wife and two young kids into his mother's house in the south suburbs. We told him about the encampment and the drugs in the vacant house, said Hassan, adding that he's left numerous messages with Cano about an abandoned house on the block that seems to attract trouble to no avail. Cops don't help. Nobody helps. We don't know where to go. Thus ends the story. This is, unfortunately, a typical typical, uh, way that uh, the salon fails to be competent. She has... uh, 
She has nothing but gibberish and platitudes to offer. She's a hypocrite, but being a Mysterian means never having to say you're a hypocrite. She has rung up the. T- she's one of three that have rung up the taxpayers for 152 grand. Apparently, those private security details ended June 29th. Uh, and she wants to get rid of the police department, but thought nothing of sticking you, the taxpayer, for her own protection. And she's not responsive to the people in her district who need help and are not getting it. What possible future can we expect for the city of Minneapolis if you're going to continue to elect these incompetent people from the failed academy who cannot demonstrate evidence of their ideas? They cannot demonstrate any statistical proof that their ideas have merit. They can't point to anywhere in the world where what they dream up has ever even been tried. They need a police department in Minneapolis now more than ever. And who does Cano hurt? She hurts the most vulnerable citizens. Right. She's hurting the people of color. She's hurting immigrants. She's hurting the most vulnerable citizens of Minneapolis. She's not hurting the people who live on Lake of the Isles. And I got news for all of those same residents. If Governor Walls decides not to send kids back to school, that crime rate's going to continue to go up. Yeah. So what, sh- what should that neighborhood do They're right doing now it. today? They're doing yeah. it. They're putting yeah, I, their I, own I, squads together. You know who came to mind is the Reverend uh, Christopher and sure. his gun club and how they just take care of business. TCB, mm. baby. Cops mm-hmm. ain't coming for us. We're going to take care of it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the idea of putting up blockades at the end of the block, keep keep these uh, riffraff off. And I was going to ask you, I, I probably shouldn't bring it up because it might be considered responsible, but uh, <laughs> m- maybe that house needs to just disappear if you know what i'm saying that abandoned house that abdi was yeah. talking about yeah, of course yeah, it maybe does. maybe yeah. maybe that thing needs a match and mm-hmm. a little boy scout water yeah but how many of those houses kenny if you had to give an educated you guys guess? you guys you guys i got a guy trying to fix something i'll tell you about it when i come back but you guys continue if you want go okay i'm gonna do this right now <laughs> uh kenny what would you say because you've lived in minneapolis for a couple of decades now how many of those yeah. kind of houses exist Inside of that city, if you had to take a ballpark oh, guess, can, I, I can't even guess, Chris. But you know, it's, it's got to be hundreds, of, if not thousands, right? It's all about the neighbors and and you know the owners of those houses, and uh, you know I, I, I can't even give you a ballpark figure. But something needs to be done. That house needs to go away, you You're know. Right. And I I don't know how you go about doing it. Obviously. Uh, arson is not the answer. It's no. a stupid idea. <laughs> right. But I, I'm just a little surprised. That, what did you call you it know, yesterday? Boy Scout water? <laughs> yeah. Boy Scout uh, water. I, I'm just a little surprised that, that, you know, they haven't this, you know. Well, because yeah, when Joe was reading that story, do you guys recall the story a couple of years ago? John had it, I believe, when we were still on the radio, of the dad that came to one of these drug houses from an outer ring suburb and found his daughter. I think she was about 15 or 16 uh, years old. Uh, and I'm saying that that's what that's what led me to that question. There's all sorts of these houses that are all over the city, and they're next to people that are, for the most part, law-abiding. They're, they're well-intended. They want to raise their kids in the city, and that's the shame of it all. Yeah, and obviously you can't destroy somebody else's property, but I'm just, I was trying to think in my head how many hours would it take for a guy with a big backhoe, a track hoe that they haul in on a semi, yeah. to take that thing down, turn it into a pile of rubber. Four hours tops? Easily. <laughs> you, you, you know, but again, you can't do that to people's property, but 
you know, places like that that are the source of all the problems, they need to go. Okay, so let me, as long as the mayor's away, let me tell you guys about <laughs> Chill Boys. I got an email from BP. A couple of weeks ago, I ordered a few pair of the Chill Boys bamboo boxers a week ago. Gave a pair to my 83-year-old dad. Keep in mind, for pretty much his whole life, he has worn the typical briefs. Over the past several years, on different occasions, when I would buy him various things, I have also bought various brands of boxers for him. He would always thank me and comment that this or that is nice. I talk with my parents on the phone pretty much daily to see how they're doing and just in general make sure things are all right. This last weekend, my dad called specifically to thank me for the Chill Boys boxers. He said these are the most comfortable underwear he's ever had. And as well, when he is in bed, they do not bind as he moves through the night. He absolutely loves them. And this is coming from a lifelong farmer who would not complain if he was wearing shorts made from gunny sack material. Oh my God, I love this email. Thank you, BP. Chillboys.com. They are the most comfortable underwear you will own. The entire staff here in Garage Logic has been blessed with the Chillboys brand. Please place your order. They're a Minnesota company. They ship almost everywhere inside of the U.S. and let them know that you heard about them on the Garage Logic podcast. Thank you, BP. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. I was, I was th- just th- sitting here oh. thinking, it's nice when you do a podcast because you know you can do that in your own time frame and stuff. Yeah, you don't have to worry about scheduling other stuff. Yeah, like maybe a guy <laughs> to come work on your garage door or what have you. Yeah, you can just kind of just do whatever you want. Yeah, it's kind of great. How about yeah. we pause for just a brief moment, okay. shall we? <laughs> Hey, this is Ozzy Osbourne. Stay tuned for more. Oh, no. Hey, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're listening to Joe. Jer- no, one more time. Hey, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're Thanks, listening Ozzie. to Joe. Jer- oh, Thanks, no. Ozzy. Thank you. You got lake fever? I do. I like to swim in lakes. Yeah. I particularly mm-hmm. like to swim uh, swim in lakes where the weeds have been. Eliminated by aquaside, and you can tell when you're when I'm out on the pontoon boat on Spoon Lake. I can just point to various beachfronts and tell you that they've been visited by aquaside. Aquaside has been helping people maintain Great Lake shores for years with a complete line of lake and pond control products that take care of everything from weeds to algae. The products are easy to use. They work quickly. They're registered with the EPA and DNR, and those products are completely safe for you, the fish, and your family. There is no needs. To let weed, no needs <laughs> for the weeds. Thanks, Clem. I did the there's, same thing earlier. There's no, there's no need to let weeds. There's no needs to let weed. No overtake needs for your, weeds. No, you don't need weeds. So you, you can get rid of them. You can get rid of all the things there, snails and Give stuff. Me a sign. I'll get you a sign, Aquaside sign. Put it right there. You call my friends at Aquaside. They're a White Bear Lake company. They'll take care of it. You can call them at one eight hundred. 328-9350 or go to aquaside.com really quick uh, yeah i got cnn on in here are you ready because yep. it's been kind of a fun day for you with news and the staff throwing things at you sure joe biden is speaking in wilmington delaware yeah isn't that his hometown and he is unveiling a two trillion dollar plan to reach 100 percent clean electricity by the year 2035 mm-hmm here we That's go. Another two trillion we don't have. <laughs> I got to read you an email. Wow. 
Joe, I listened to your July 13th episode. That was yesterday. I commend you for thinking outside the box and looking for solutions to the current homeless issue. It is far more than it is far more than our so-called leaders are doing. After hearing your suggestion to use the recently required warehouse slash morgue as housing for those in need, I thought I should write to share. Uh, just a minute, I eliminated it for myself. Uh, I thought I should write to share. Uh, some ideas. I'm going to share an experience, he said. I recently retired from a 30-plus year career in law enforcement in Minnesota. For the last part of my career, I was fortunate to work with law enforcement officers and agencies throughout Minnesota and around the U.S. Part of my duties took me to other states where I had the occasion to work with local law enforcement and homeless individuals. One of these trips took me to Northern California. I'm withholding the city by choice. While there, I had an experience that I think may help to foretell the future of your plan. We were working an afternoon-evening shift, and one of the local officers asked if I wanted to jump in his squad car to go check out the city. It was about 10 p.m. when we headed out of the precinct. We drove around for about an hour talking with people and getting me a lay of the land. It was then that he said, I want to show you something. I had seen plenty during my career, but never pretended that I had seen it all. What I was about to experience shocked me. As we turned down a street in a predominantly industrial business area, I couldn't believe what I saw. An entire city street occupied by homeless people, probably a hundred, tents and shacks of cardboard, plywood and tarps in the street. As my escort slowly weaved his way through the people, they were standing, sitting and lying down. Bicycles, trash, shacks, tents and campfires. The smell of burnt marijuana was overwhelming. I felt compelled to ask, well, what was happening. He stated that the city had relinquished the street, approximately one city block, to the homeless to use as they pleased. It was eye-opening. They gave up an entire city street. As we reached the end of the street, he pointed to the parking lot directly behind the tent city. The lot was one square block. It was filled with sheds. These were the kinds of sheds that looked like tiny homes. They had windows and front porches. There were nearly 100 sheds. I immediately assumed that it was a shed dealership. Nope, the city built these sheds as homes for the very people living in the street 50 feet away. My escort explained that the city offered a shed to anyone who wanted it for housing free of charge, but there were conditions. One of the conditions was that those accepting a home needed to be clean and sober. As we circled the block, I noticed that none of the homes appeared occupied. My guide's one-word answer summed it up. Nope. The choice simply was to live in the street with no restrictions or take a free home and live by the rules. They chose to take uh, take the street. I, again, applaud your solution, but I suspect that outcome would be the same here. Uh, this is Don in Stillwater. Uh, yeah, he's probably right. You could you could create these, uh, what are they called, uh, micro-homes? Uh, there's been a lot oh, the, of talk yeah, of that. Ones, yeah, it been a lot of talk of that, but there's... Uh, uh, you would probably find rejection because the people would be subjected to rules. Although, although with the people in the salon, I can't even imagine them intending to enforce any rules. You know, Joel, I, she watches uh, yes. the HGTV with those mini home shows that are on it once in a while. That they're yeah. all great in theory and everything, but I'm not sleeping on my dining room table at no. night. You know, that's no. that's just not me. Joe, for the love of God and everything holy, will you please send me my stack of GL stickers already? I feel for the gal on the Monday 713 podcast waiting for a flag. I have people personally messaging me on Facebook asking for a sticker. I feel like Royce during the early stages of the COVID, looking forward to going to the mailbox in hopes of seeing an envelope with GL stickers in it, only to feel oppressed when I can't uh, have what I want. What on God's green earth must I do to get the ball rolling? My proposal... 
Give me an address and the dimensions of the appropriate sized envelope, and I will send you not only one, but multiple envelopes <laughs> so you can send stickers to other GLers who have been waiting as I have been. Cheese and rice. Get the lead out. Take care. <laughs> Wes from Lonsdale. Uh, peace. Okay. Uh, I guess I could go to the drugstore and get some envelopes. Yeah, I like how that process is going to unfold. <laughs> Well, although, you people, you, although you can play office, I, I trust. I trust you can get it done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to your last um, email about the homeless, and I'm looking for it right now. I saw on Twitter yesterday somewhere that the homeless have now moved into the park around Lake Harriet, uh, and I have not seen anything about that today. I'm just wondering how that's going to go down there in that uh, it's kind of an affluent part of town the southwest corner down there kind nice of homes. <laughs> yeah you know you know i'm i'm uh have you heard or seen anything about that i have not i have yeah. not it should be interesting to see as these homeless uh, spread out and go to different parks around uh, mm-hmm. what happens here what are they going to do when it's 20 below right right where 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 were the uh, powder horn uh, inhabitants before the month of George Floyd? Well, um, a lot of them were in that tent city that was on Hiawatha. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, spread out, you know, under the bridges, under the, the Greenway, places like that. Where was mm-hmm. the one that was in St. Paul, Kenny? Uh, that's a question for Such. Okay. I'm not entirely sure, Joe. Isn't that right off 35E? Yeah. Under was, the hill? Uh, yeah. Right, it's below the cathedral, above the freeway. Yeah, there's a green greens area in there, uh, and then uh, recently uh, there's been an, a homeless encampment in Maplewood where a guy drowned in a pond. Right. Uh, so they're the homeless uh, are a struggling lot, and uh, most often it's uh, and as, as we were talking off the air yesterday, there's a lot of homeless people who go to work every day. Right. They just don't and, have a home. Right, and maybe some of those folks deserve the break. Yeah. First, you know, they're clean, they're sober, they're doing everything they can. They're just not making enough money. Uh, let's let's do what we can to help them out. Joe is a long tenured listener on both the podcast and the radio. I'm used to hearing you talk about how things get the, how things get the closer you get to the country's tallest buildings. I see glimpses into the salon in Minneapolis and St. Paul when I make trips into the inner ring for various sporting events. I've always taken comfort that I was a safe distance from the tallest buildings and therefore more likely to encounter people who are GLers as well as hopefully encounter some politicians that can recite a line from Caddyshack or justify their decisions based on common sense. My mind flipped this evening when I saw this. And then he he, uh, copied me on a Burnsville publication called Burnsville Center Village Redevelopment. Burnsville's own plan for smart urbanization with higher density housing and the stated goal of removing the automobile as a private mode of transportation. I'm not sure there is any escape from the salon and their desire to turn this into the whole country, into the perfect urban paradise. I'll keep pushing back any way I can. Ryan, P.S., my wife made it to Fratelloni's today and picked us up a new Weber gas grill. Can't wait to get up to see Spencer Grunhofer and get some of that meatloaf and a few dozen brats to break this thing in right. Nice. Ryan, uh, Ryan, my, uh, my sad observation would be Burnsville's not nearly far enough away. No. That's, that's, you, from Burnsville, you can see downtown Minneapolis. That's too close. 
the salon is creeping in everywhere. The salon is attracting uh, the kinds of people who uh, have no intention of really ever doing anything meaningful except telling the rest of us how we should live. Well, and Mark Coran pointed it out at the beginning. Th- these are these are a bunch of elected people that refuse to listen to the people that voted them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Telling us how to live and then don't taking their uh, not taking their own advice, you know. Well, this Alondra Alondra Cano, uh, good lord, you're not even responsive to the people that you should be responding to, lady. Yet being critical of the police for not responding, do as I say, not as I do. You have no methodology. Right. You have no methodology. You have no system. You have no evidence of things. You have no statistics. You have no planning. You have no achievements. You're failing miserably at your one menial task, which would be to respond to people who live in your ward. And it's happening with all the wards in Minneapolis. That is a very incompetent group of people. And I really hope uh, Minneapolitans have had their eyes opened. I I just don't know. It's just just too easy with ranked choice voting, as Mark said, to to, uh, continue to come up with the radical after radical. And what have I said about the mayor of St. Paul? With each succeeding, with each new mayor, you'll miss the previous one. That's yeah. hard to believe with mm-hmm. with Melvin, but that's where we're headed. With each new mayor, you'll miss the Chris Coleman is Winston Churchill compared to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> we're, with each new mayor, you'll miss the because this, the cities are going to become ruined uh, because they no are ruined, Joe. No discipline is being followed. No, uh, going back to Joe Anthony's visit with us, can you imagine? These people are in charge of a $1.6 billion budget, and they have no experience in finance, no experience in law, no experience in management, no experience in building, no experience in anything. I absolutely loved Coran's idea that every one of these people should spend a week working on a certain faction of whatever they're responsible for. That's a brilliant idea. That's absolutely what they should be doing. Right, but instead the system gets clogged with, uh, in the Department of Transportation, for example, an Office of Diversity and Inclusiveness. That has nothing to do with plowing a highway. Nothing. And thus does government grow and expand and become more unaccountable to anyone. That's, I think that was uh, Mark Curran's biggest observation. This is a government that's not accountable. It's a, it's a government where uh, no agency head is ever held responsible for anything. It's a, it's a crying shame, but we're really witnessing it. The month of uh, George Floyd has exacerbated it. It's brought it to, uh, to the forefront. The month of George Floyd has showed us, uh, shown us how rapidly the cities are in decline. And, uh, again, you've got uh, 13 city council people in Minneapolis, three of whom build the taxpayers for public safety, but they, they want to defund the police department. And not one of them, going back to Cano's uh, comments in this story, she has no ability to say of the lawbreakers, uh, behave. Where are your parents? Why have you lost your moral and ethical integrity? Where is your ethical clarity? No, it's the police fault. It's a, it's a, I'm unsatisfied with the current system, she said, having no idea what a new system should be because she can't offer one. Well, and it's not even just here. You know, we, we attempted to play AOC. I think we got three seconds in. But her rationale was the uptick in crime, and we're spending all this money on, on police, and they're not doing anything about it. She wasn't pointing any fingers at the actual behavior and the people that are no, committing the crime. No, she was excusing crimes. it, Chris. Absolutely. She was excusing yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and here's Cano saying it's frustrating that the MPD hasn't been able to deliver results uh, in a uh, uh, harm reduction approach to policing. Uh, but neighbors say that Cano has been equally unresponsive to their pleas and calls for help because their calls to her office go unreturned. Uh Unless you voters wake up, um, but the people who need to wake up probably are not listening to Garage Logic. That would be my guess. Yeah. yeah. That would be my guess. <laughs> the people in the Ninth Ward, uh, mostly immigrants and people of color, although many people of color listen to Garage Logic, that, that, that might be a neighborhood where people might not be aware of the Garage Logic podcast. I wish they could be. Those are the people that could send someone new to that Ninth uh, Ward seat in the city council and, and throw these bums out in the street where they belong. None of them would be capable of, of having a job where they would be expected to meet requirements. I wonder how many of them are coming up for re-election this fall. I don't do know. we know that? I don't know. I need to do a little digging here. Mm-hmm. And all these people want to do is leave, live a safe life. And, and Yeah, their, their request is not that outlandish. It's not an outlandish request to send police. Come on, our neighborhood's swamped with drug dealers. They had to put up their own barricades. And so these morons in the city council create a create an environment where the cops now are walking around in eggshells. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting violence, people. I'm not suggesting that, that the coppers need to go around and start beating people over the head with their batons. But what I'm saying is they got to start arresting them. You know what used to happen? You arrested your way out of these problems. Well, now we're we're not we're not arresting people. And in the one case, you said it was a twelve-year-old with a handgun. Twelve-year-old kid with a handgun sticks it in this woman's face. I, I and I I think it's bleak. Seriously, I know I said it earlier, but if they don't put these kids back in school, God God help Minneapolis and St. Paul. What what kind of student do you think the twelve-year-old will be in school? But at least it will provide somewhere for that twelve-year-old to go. What kind of student do you think that twelve-year-old will be in school, which is now? virtuously ended its relationship with the oh, police. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> huh. The only one I can find is Ward 6, where Abdi uh, Warsami yeah, left. Yeah, he left be, to become the executive director of the Minneapolis Public Housing Authority. Well, you're doing a crackerjack job. Yeah, There's no place for people tell, to live. Yeah. Uh, and he, the uh, six uh, Ward Six, he represented Stephen Square, Ventura Phillips, uh, Village, excuse me, Phillips West, Elliott Park, Seward, and Cedar Riverside. Mm-hmm. So that's the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Only so because they, an- go ahead. they have another free ride until the next election, Joe. They couldn't care less as far as this year is concerned. Yeah, and that is, and you know, people say, "Well, you you talk a lot. What are your solutions?" Well, my solution is that if you care enough, you've got to find candidates to represent you in city hall, and you need to create a petition to put on the ballot a referendum calling for a strong mayor and a weak city council. Because right now, it's a strong city council and a weak mayor. As Joe Anthony said, the mayor is nothing but a cheerleader without a portfolio. He has, he has no power whatsoever. And we, we saw his weaknesses. We saw the city council's weaknesses. We saw the governor's weaknesses. They're born into a system of no accountability. And it's ruinous for the people. It's ruinous for the people of uh, the neighborhoods just north of Lake Street and South 18th Avenue. 
It's just, it's a sad situation. But it won't be long before it's a sad situation for everybody in the Twin Cities if this keeps up. Look how quickly, look how quickly Minneapolis has declined. Oh, it's unbelievable the amount of uh, shootings we've had. Uh, compared to this time last year. And that's with the, the state being locked down for, what, six straight weeks where no one was allowed to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, well, Super, Bowl was elect- Super Bowl yeah. host. Super Bowl host. Did we have a Final Four here? Last year. Last Final Four. I, I really feel badly for the Twins. What, what steps are they... I suppose the steps this year that will protect the Twins is no fans. No fans will be allowed yeah. in the stands. But do you see any clearing on the horizon to to suddenly believe that, A, next April there will be no pandemic, and, B, the, the city will become miraculously safe? Well, we've talked about it on the show. You guys yeah. recall the, vi- the viral video of the guy getting beaten by one of the statues at Target Field and the Twins. I think oh. it was Dave St. Peter came out and oh. said, uh, this needs to be fixed here because we can't we can't continue to let this happen. They'll they'll flex their muscle and they need to. Who's going to respond to them? Elana Alando Cano, Alandro Cano. But no, but it, when it's the Twins <laughs> and they're providing something that gives eighty one dates for people to come downtown, believe me, leaders like Fry are going to have to listen to them. But that's already been that was in decline before COVID. True. Yep. This this assault on a man last year, there, that was pre-George Floyd and pre-COVID. Nope. As I say, the month of George Floyd has only uh, put all of this under a large magnifying glass. Um, many, many wounds uh, uh, opened. Many, many shortcomings uh, discovered. And they aren't listening to city business leaders. The other day held the big news conference. City leaders don't care. They, they just ignore them, saying, right. you know, they have yep. to get things under control, and the city council doesn't care, the mayor doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So, uh, As for Bender, uh, first elected in 2010, uh, 2013, re-elected in 2017, and then uh, elected by fellow co- council members to be the president. So she's up next year. Right. It's four, four, four-year terms. Her big accomplishment co-founded the Minneapolis Bicycle Coalition, now right. called Our Streets. Right. That's not an accomplishment. Walking, <laughs> to make walking and bicycling safer. That's that's her big claim to fame. That's not that's, an accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> that was a me. minor amusement. Yeah. Man. Yeah. She's on a number of committees, uh, budget, committee of the whole, whatever that is, election and rules, executive, <laughs> housing policy and development, intergovernmental relations and transportation and public works and zoning and planning all -hmm. of which i don't want her on any of those let her run the bikes right she should just be the bike commissioner yeah get a little badge (laughs) (laughs) only because they come to us all the way from mumbai india it's tom lyman's offering of on this date in minnesota history july 14th on this date in 1924, Lawrence S. Donaldson dies in Minnesota. Why was he noteworthy? Why was he noteworthy? Donaldson's department store. That's right, Kenny. Oh. The first department store in the uh, Northwest. He was the founder of the first department store in the Northwest, Donaldson's. What did and, they become? What did Donaldson's become? Weren't they bought Donaldson's. out? Donaldson's. 
No, well, they were bought out by a chain, I thought. I'm going to look it up. And on this day in 1991, the Twins retired number six, formerly formerly worn by Tony Oliva, who was the 1964 American League Rookie of the Year and three-time American League batting champion and an instant Hall of Famer had they knew had they known back then how to operate on knees. Man. Yeah. What was it, a sprinkler head in Oakland? Was that Something right? Something like that, yeah. But yeah. They, they didn't have the skills today. They've learned so much about that knee surgery that – God, he would have had a 25-year career with today's medical technology. And was that that was also pre-DH? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Would that have saved him, or would he would he have not even been? Well, able that to would have just pro- no, that just would have prolonged his. Oh, as it with bum knees? Yeah, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. what I do on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't we get flags sh- made, do you? <laughs> no. Speaking of the show, can we have a little show meeting on the air here? Sure. No. Uh, uh, up over the weekend. Well, yeah, we're gonna anyway. Uh, over oh. the weekend, <laughs> Morgan was bothering me, harassing me. Morgan um, Q.E.O. Slattery. Yeah, wondering if you uh, have have you. Have you, called I, her? you have you, should I reach out to her? to her? Well, please get her off my back, okay? I, I'll I call her today. These calls. She's calling at all hours of the night, and you know that voice of hers. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> How does it feel to be a loser? You know. I'll call her. I'll call her. Okay, good. I'll call her. I uh, bet she's. Okay, I bet she's on. an EcoFund customer. Think so? Yeah, I thought I heard that she. She no, she must live in urban density, but that would require her to have a bicycle. If she's going to get a bicycle, I hope she got it at EcoFun Motorsports on Highway 61 in downtown Forest Lake. Those Bintelli e-bikes with five levels of electric assist, they're fantastic. The scooters that make every errand uh, into an adventure, 75 miles to the gallon, easy to park. Uh, Yamaha motorcycles, great recreational stuff for kids, helmets, clothing, service department. Tim Bloom sends a truck through town. You're... uh, your EcoFund purchase needs service. He picks it up, takes it back to their shop in Forest Lake, repairs it, and gets it back to you. It's a really, really nifty operation, and I really want you to take a test drive on those Bintelli e-bikes. You'll love them, and uh, you'll love the scooters, and you'll just love the whole operation because it's right there on 61, and Garage Logic owns Highway 61. So uh, say hello to them. Tell them you're a GLer. They'll put you on uh, Snapchat when you ride away on your new bike. That's right. Or Instagram or whatever it's called. <laughs> EcoFun Motorsports in downtown Forest Lake on Highway 61. In 1987, Donaldson's was acquired by Carson Puri Scott Puri & Company. Puri Scott. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, which made the ill-fated decision to rename the stores with the corporate name Carson's in turn was acquired by P.A. Bergner & Company of Milwaukee. They then became... Uh, or sorry, they declared bankruptcy. Then they were purchased by the Dayton organization and became Dayton's. Mm-hmm. Then Marshall My wife Fields worked at Carson's downtown for several oh, years. Really? That's the reason I knew that. Yes. Oh, I, I have one other Tony Oliva note as we're darting all over the board here. Yeah. He did DH his last four seasons. Oh, after really? They, after they when instituted was the DH, 1970. Yes. Uh, 71 was when 71? They, I think right. Ron Bloomberg was the first one. I think. Yeah. Uh, but he then he hurt his knee in '72, and then DH'd '73, four, five, and a few games in '76 before retiring. Hmm. Still could hit, man. Even if he couldn't run, unbelievable. Oh yeah, hit two, got a great swing. Yeah. with no legs. Basically, was he, he a, a crew? Was he a good outfielder? Was he a good oh, outfielder before God, he got hurt? Yes, yes, okay. of course. He and Crew were roommates, I think. 
<laughs> but they had some talks about batting, hitting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, GLers, thank you. That's going to do her, huh, bro? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Hey, uh, if you haven't done so yet, please download the PodMN app for your smartphone. You can find past episodes of Garage Logic and maybe find some more. I don't know, true crime, sports, the Fret Club, past episodes, and beer show. There you go. All sorts of them can be found at PodMN. And thank you so much for listening to the Garage Logic podcast. We'll check with you tomorrow. <laughs>